counterfeiting, lynchings, thieves, and murderers from the Milan Exchange and the Memphis Appeal for the 20th of February, 1886. Our first set of articles are from the Milan Exchange. Let the vagrant law be enforced, or the first thing our authorities know, the people will be a law unto themselves and punish thieving tramps in a way they'll not forget. Court Notes In the case of the State versus John Ballou for selling unwholesome meat, George B. Cole, prosecutor, the defendant was discharged, the evidence being insufficient to send him to the law court. Esquire Jordan was the magistrate before whom the case was tried. Noel and Thomas Watson were arrested and tried before Esquires Jordan and Hale last Tuesday and Wednesday on the charge of burning a house belonging to Mr. R. H. Clark a few miles west of town. They were sent to jail to await trial at the Humboldt Law Court. They were are both young men. The case of the government against Toby Burris, charged with passing counterfeit money, was up before U.S. Commissioner Hahn last Saturday. Burris gave bond to appear at the U.S. court in Jackson when he was released. We saw some of the so-called money, and it does not amount to even a poor counterfeit. Any man who would take it for good money would need a guardian. The tramps George Jackson of Rochester, New York, and Henry Nolan, colored of Virginia, broke into Mr. Coble's residence last Monday afternoon while the family was absent and helped themselves. Later in the afternoon, Mr. Coble and Constable Moore boarded the eastbound freight on the L&N Road and captured the thieves at Atwood, bringing them back that night. They were tried before Esquire Hale and sent to the jail to await the action of the grand jury. The six-mile walk about used up Captain Moore. Last Sunday night, the grocery store of Dr. Harris was burglarized and about $150 worth of cutlery and other things taken. Will Hudson and Joe McCreen were arrested charged with the offense and are now undergoing examination before A. Jordan and N.J. Heathcock magistrates. John Henry, a strange Negro here, was found with a large number of knives and he is used as a witness against the boys, he saying that they were the burglars. It is thought the Negro is one of the guilty parties, possibly the only one. We learn that the boys expect to prove an alibi. The remainder of our newspaper articles are from the Memphis Appeal. Please note that some articles use language considered offensive by today's standards. A Crazy Negro's Horrible Crime, Savannah, February the 19th. The dead bodies of two unknown Negro boys, 8 and 10 years of age, were found tied to the foot of a sapling in the woods six miles from the city this morning. They had been gagged, their mouths having been rammed full of leaves and clay. Their arms and legs were tied together and were fastened to their sapling by a rope around their necks. There were no marks of violence on the bodies. They are thought to be brothers. John Graham, a crazy Negro living near the spot, is the supposed murderer. He is insane on religion, and it is believed he killed them as a sacrifice. He was captured this evening and neither denies nor admits his guilt. He is irresponsible. A Noble Hangman, London, February the 19th. As a result of a statement that a well-known baronet had assisted Hangman Perry in hanging the three Netherby burglars, Sir Claude de Crispigny, in an interview today, admitted that he was the one alluded to. He said that as he would probably be sheriff, he desired to gain experience in order that he might be prepared in case he should be obliged to act himself in the absence of the hangman. He slept in the prison during the night, pinioned one of the culprits himself, and generally assisted Barry. The latter considers Sir Claude a plucky individual who does his task well. 
Sir Claude appears to take a lively interest in his chosen calling. Swung him up to a tree. Negro rape fiend hanged by a mob. Fatal row between thieves, the usual Kentucky tragedy, a desperate deed. Martinsburg, West Virginia, February the 19th. Three weeks ago, Joe Burns, a repulsive-looking Negro, committed an outrageous assault on one Mrs. Felters of Baltimore, who was on her way from the railroad depot at this place to a friend's house, a short distance outside of the town. This morning, Burns paid the penalty of his crime. At 12.45 o'clock, a body of masked men, numbering from 75 to 100, appeared in the jail, and without much ado, took Burns therefrom and dragged him to a point two miles outside of town and hanged him to a tree. The Usual Thing in Kentucky Evansville, Indiana, February the 19th News has just reached here of a shooting affray which occurred Wednesday night at Hallsville, Kentucky between Edward Cooney and John Cohn in which both were injured fatally. Cooney has for some time been paying attention to Keown's sister and was engaged to her but lately showed a disposition to break it off with her. Keown demanded that he make good to his attentions, which Coney agreed to do, setting Tuesday evening for the time, but he failed to appear. Wednesday night, he passed Keown's residence and was stopped by Keown, who demanded an explanation of his conduct. Coney was drink, drunk, replied insultingly, and then the fusillade began, and the men lost no time in emptying their revolvers. Coney was shot through the neck, the ball barely missing the jugular vein and ranging downward. Another raked the abdomen. Keown was struck just above left eye, the ball going through the brow bone and glancing around to the side of his head, and another ball struck him in the chin. Cooney was arrested. The greatest excitement prevails. The mayor of Hallsville fears trouble between the two factions and has sworn in a special police force. Fatal Road Between Thieves, Chicago, Illinois, February the 19th. A fatal row between thieves occurred last evening in a basement under a little coal office at number 144 West Lake Street. Sam Booth, Jack McLean, and one or two others belonging to the criminal class were playing a game of cards in the basement mentioned, which is a sort of rendezvous for the gang. A dispute arose between Booth and McLean, which grew into a fight. Both men drew knives and attacked each other viciously. McLean was simply wounded slightly on the wrist, but he sunk his knife deep into the left side of Booth's neck, severing the jugular vein and inflicting a gash which extended down to the shoulder. This put an end to the affray, and the wounded man's companions carried him to the stables of the DePlane Street Patrol Service and leaned him up against the wall on the sidewalk where they left him. He was discovered by the police belonging to the stable and removed to the county hospital where he soon expired. McLean was arrested. Frequent listeners may recall this story from a few days ago, the Yule Holocaust, Plymouth, Wisconsin, February the 19th. The verdict of the coroner's jury in the Yule Holocaust is not accepted with any degree of unanimous opinion, and suspicions of a terrible crime being hidden beneath the blackened ruins are by no means allayed. It is well known that Yule frequently had considerable money in the house, and many residents of the village believed that the house was robbed and fired by some unknown miscreants. The hired man's story is now credited, and he is not suspected of complicity. No arrest have been made, but a quiet investigation is in progress. Died in jail. Grand Haven, Michigan, February the 19th. John Dole of Holland, a young man of 28 years, was found last night lying in the street in an insensible condition, apparently drunk. He was accordingly taken to jail, where it was found he was in a dying condition. 
Investigation showed that he had been drinking in company with several young men during the evening, and every time he took a drink, he was observed to squeeze a brown substance into his glass. This substance afterwards proved to have been opium, but the deadly poison was not recognized by any of his friends. He died during the night. A Maniac's Desperate Deed, Bloomington, Illinois, February the 19th. Three days ago, David Schulte, a wealthy farmer residing near, near Shirley, Illinois, armed with two shotguns, secreted himself in the oak bin of his barn. Yesterday afternoon, the members of his family discussed his whereabouts and attempted to take him to the house. He jumped from his hiding place and fired a number of shots, inflicting probably fatal wounds upon his brother, Levi Schulte, his wife, sister-in-law, and his son, age 17. He then set fire to the barn, which was entirely consumed with its contents, lost $10,000. Schulte then made his escape to the timber three miles away, where it is believed he had committed suicide. His wife and sister-in-law will die. Later, David Schulte, the maniac who last night fired a barn and shot two persons, was supposed to have escaped to the timber, but this morning the charred bones of the lunatic were found in the smoking ashes with his revolver and gun barrel beside him. His brother, Levy Schulte, is unhurt, the revolver ball lodging in his clothing. Mrs. Levy Schulte received 13 wounds in the back from a gun charged with missiles ranging from birdshot to rifle balls. She will die. Her daughter received a bullet in the arm from the same shot. Betrayed his employer's trust, St. Louis, Missouri, February the 19th. For the past 13 or 14 years, Albert Mitchell has been in the employ of the Missouri Pacific and Wabash Railroadways as messenger in the office of the treasurer. He was considered thoroughly reliable and trustworthy. It was entrusted with large sums of money, which he never failed to deliver promptly and accurately. One of his duties was to carry money between the treasurer's office and the bank, and since he has been an employee of the railways, he has carried millions of dollars to and fro without losing a cent. Last Monday, Treasurer Smith prepared a package containing $2,400 to send to Crockett, Texas to pay taxes and other expenses of the railroad there. It was given to Mitchell with instructions to take it to the office of the Pacific Express and get a receipt for it. He left the treasurer's office and in due time returned with the express company's receipts promptly signed for a package said to contain $2,400. Nothing more was suspected until yesterday morning when the treasurer Smith received a telegram from Crockett announcing the arrival of the package and stating, in addition, that it was $1,000 short. Detectives were immediately put upon the case and their efforts resulted in the arrest of Mitchell, who confessed the crime. It seems that he was treasurer of a club of colored people in the city and that he was found short in his accounts to the amount of $2,000, which he attempted in the above manner to return. Riled by Chicken Thieves, Mingo Junction, Ohio, February the 19th. At 11.30 o'clock last night, Charles Hall, a prominent citizen, was murdered by chicken thieves. Hall thought he heard a noise in his chicken house and went out with a lantern to investigate when one of the thieves drew his revolver and shot him dead. The thieves escaped. Arrested for embezzlement, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, February the 19th. R.F. Lucas, an insurance agent of Cleveland, Ohio, was arrested here last night on a charge of embezzling $4,000 of the funds of the Equitable Insurance Company of that city. He left for Cleveland this afternoon in charge of an officer. Found drunk in the streets, New York, February the 19th. The Reverend T.G. Quinn of Osceola, Wisconsin, was found drunk on Broadway this morning. His nose was bleeding. His watch, worth $150, was stolen, as well as $130 in money. 
He told Justice Weld he was on his way to Europe and could not account for his humiliating condition. He was temporarily committed. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, a lodger killed by a hotel keeper. Particulars of the crime, a bad case for the landlord. Special to the appeal. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, February the 19th. C.E. Presley, proprietor of the Magnolia House, last night killed F.W. Brigham. It appears from the testimony disclosed at the inquest this morning that two strangers called for lodging and were conducted to room number 8. It was locked from the inside, and when the door was opened, Brigham had got up from sleep and put on his pants and shoes. The proprietor asked him what he was doing there. Brigham said he had rented the room and paid for it to his, Presley's, clerk. This the proprietor denied and then shoved him by the arm onto a chair. Brigham told him that kind of business was unnecessary. As soon as he could get on his clothes, he would leave the room. The proprietor then left the room, whistling, and paced up and down the hall. Brigham told the occupants of the room that he was going to see the proprietor and shake hands and bade them goodbye. When he was out in the hall, Presley said, No man shall call me a son of a bitch in my own house. I am going to kill you and struck him in the face with his pistol. Brigham replied, You have got the drop on me. Don't shoot. Presley then snapped his pistol twice at him. He then fired three times, the last shot being the only effective one, the ball striking under the left rib and charged around and lodged in the right hip. Brigham expired in a few moments. After the landlord had fired the last shot with convulsive energy, the guest seized the pistol and they tussled for it, and in the struggle he fell over and Presley jumped on him with his feet and as the man was dying, walked quickly away. The twenty lodgers who saw the difficulty knew neither of the parties, and their evidence disclosed a horrible taking of a life. Brigham is a stranger, and had been here but a day or two. His father, I gather from a letter written his son, lives in Cherry Creek, New York, and in response to what disposition he desired to have made of the body, replied, Very frank there, and write his, in right particulars, my heart is sick. The deceased had been drinking yesterday a good deal. The proprietor of the hotel is not regarded as a quarrelsome man. He is in custody. That's the crime news for February the 20th, 1886. Please join us tomorrow for a year of crime as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.